0: I think we will see a new software organization happening and I think it's going to be a simplified organization or at least a modified organization. Today you have sales, customer success, marketing and below those teams you have multiple different teams and it's just in a product-led world those three teams doesn't necessarily make sense anymore.
1: You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Mike Smart, and welcome to -to Go-To-Market Disrupted. Today, I have Espen Jensen with me, and we're going to talk about how we can use rapid user onboarding to drive some very important go-to-market outcomes. Um, Espen is the co-founder and chief growth officer of a company called Userflow. And prior to Userflow, Espen co-founded Cobol, which is a company that has about 200 employees today. By the way, Userflow is a no-code builder for an in-app onboarding and survey that allows SaaS businesses to become more product-led. And we're gonna talk about what all of that means, of course. Espen has a diverse background in technology, especially in the enterprise SaaS industry. Previously, Espen has been a chief customer officer. He has had a career with Accenture that started out as a consultant. Espen, I'm really glad you accepted my invitation today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for stopping by and sharing some of your insight with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Espen, your career path is what I would call a fairly rapid ascension. You've done a lot of different things over your, your career and it spans some years, but you're still relatively young. So I'm always excited to hear how people kind of get in rapid growth mode, kind of playing off your title there, but rapid growth mode to achieve some of the things that you've achieved. Would you mind taking a step back and maybe sharing some of the journey that you've gone through to get to where you are today?
0: Sure. I'm not sure I'm I'm the youngest person to have done it. I I think I'm I'm pretty uh, old compared to some other people I might have met, especially in uh, the Bay Area where I live now. I remember it was a big eye-opener. When I got here ten years ago and met some people who were like twenty years twenty years old and on their third startup, that that was a big eye opener. But yeah, no, uh, for sure has definitely been on a great journey uh, both with Cobalt and now Userflow. And I started my career really all the way back to my university degree in in uh, at the Technical University of Denmark, where I studied kind of applied mathematics. So applied mathematics, I I think. It really speaks to how I think as a person. If it's not something you can apply to anything, if it's very theoretical, I don't find it super interesting. So uh, school for me, all the way up to university was not that interesting because it was too theoretical. And I really loved when I didn't hit that kind of applied where you could actually go out and apply your your mathematics and so on into the real world. So that was a big eye opener for me and I, I built some really cool mathematical models that I used in different companies today. And then I further wanted to advance my career. So I joined Accenture, which of course is a great way to kind of progress quickly. I got a r- lot of responsibility working for Accenture. They are good at like throwing you in the fire and kind of see uh, what happens. It see who uh, survives, really. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so that was a lot of fun, but it was also kind of missed having a bit more tangible impact because at Accenture, you're kind of helping maybe one big organization to improve their processes with some kind of big, large-scale IT system. And the impact you really have is minimal in my view. So I wanted to build products that could impact more people. And that's why I decided to leave Accenture and do my first startup together with uh, three Danish friends. And we actually moved them to the Bay Area kind of start off. So we we joined an accelerator and we decided to stick around and we grew that company, as you said, from from, uh, four founders to uh, 200 plus employees, a series B company. And it's still going strong um so yeah that was a first startup is a big challenge but a lot of fun and then after eight years of doing Cobalt, i kind of got the that kind of bug again to start something from scratch again and that's why i decided to leave operationally to uh, start userflow with a with another danish friend this time um but and this time it's a lot i would say a lot easier the second time to build the startup uh,
2: for sure right uh... I'm always intrigued by entrepreneurs like yourself, who build that company, Cobalt, we're talking about, spend all of that en- energy and investment there. And as things start to move forward, the momentum is there, you step away. What's the driver there? Is it just an itch to keep that sort of that surge and that energy and creative thing going? Is, is, that, what, is that what drove you to, to leave Cobalt at that point?
0: I think... As a founder, you—you you, at least me personally—and I think it's the same for many other founders. Uh, you like to start things and take them from zero to one, or from maybe from zero to ten. But taking them from ten to one hundred, it's—it uh, requires that you change your mindset, right? That you become a more kind of uh, that you go back a bit to the corporate roots that I decided to leave at Accenture because suddenly it becomes all about managing large teams building processes all that stuff really what i wanted to do was to build products that people love and and be really close to the customers in that way right and i think that becomes harder as a company grows because you need to scale i think cobalt was very is very successful and when they reach that stage where it becomes more operational it just becomes a bit boring to be honest for me an absolute uh,
2: change in what what's required to on a day-to-day basis you're absolutely exactly. right. and, uh, and either... so I wanted
0: I wanted to go back and be close to the product again be close to the customers be that early stage uh, where you can change things really rapidly so yeah that's why I decided to do
2: good for you to identify your core strengths and what feeds you and what makes you passionate about your work and step away from it.
0: Yeah, I think that that's the most important part because I could honestly, I mean, I worked in Accenture, right? I could man, manage big teams, so I could do it, but it's not my passion, right? It's not what I love doing. I love building product. I love, you know, that early stage. So you started Userflow, what is it, two years ago? Yeah. So Userflow is a bit special. It was started in 2019. So that's okay. actually uh, yeah, close to four years four ago, years by, my, ago. Right. by my co-founder, Bastian. So he is the like the developer and he built out the product. And then I joined him one and a half years, two years into that journey to basically grow the business, grow the, the customer base and grow our presence in the market. He started the company and I joined him a bit later.
2: So you started Userflow as a as a, as a rapid onboarding tool at a time when the SaaS industry, the, the sector, the market that most of us live around here in Silicon Valley or the Bay Area um, in terms of technology, it started going through a transition. And your title was one of the things that intrigued me when I discovered you through, through the network. Um, what does it mean to be a growth officer today in today's environment? That's one, and then two, Let's talk about how onboarding is really becoming a trigger
0: mechanism to drive,
2: I'll call it efficient growth.
0: Yeah, so there there are a couple of different topics there. I think one big transition we're seeing in the SaaS industry is this move to what's called product-led growth, where you're basically uh, using the product as the primary driver uh, for getting customers, right? So you might have a free trial or freemium model where users can go and and try your product and then uh, uh, experience the value and then buy potentially without ever speaking with a with a human, right? And with that model, you can argue if I'm managing that that model runs smoothly and so on, then you can't really call me a chief sales officer, chief sales officer or chief customer success officer because I'm not necessarily in touch with the customer. I'm not doing sales meetings necessarily. I might also be doing that and that's an add-on, you typically call that like sales assist or product led sales. So I also do that, but because the role suddenly involves a lot more than just like sales meetings, it also involves looking at how you attract the right customers, how you build your product in a way that converts the right customers, then it's much more, I would say a growth role rather than a sales role.
2: So from your point of view, it is really touching two things. It sounds like it is touching what I'll call classical sales initiatives, and it is also then touching or involving product plan, product roadmap, product prioritization as it relates to people in certain types of product solutions on the SaaS side that lend themselves to product-led growth or sometimes called PLG.
0: Is that, yeah. so that, that's the way you see the role, okay. Yeah, it's it, it includes many dimensions basically. It's not just sales, it's not just marketing, it's also the right. product and how the product plays into that whole acquisition, conversion and retention process.
2: Okay, all right. And so then when you think about the capabilities of the problem that user flow is solving today, can you talk about what problem that is that, that UserFlows is addressing and, and who are yep. the ideal targets, like users and, and plans yeah, for, sure. for you?
0: So uh, as part of, uh, and that's a, not only in product-led growth, but in general, if you are a software business, you want to onboard your customers. And back in the day, you would uh, some people would do onboarding with onboarding meetings, right? So you do a lot of meetings to onboard people, and that's not very cost effective. And if you really bring it to scale, it becomes very expensive. So what you can do with Userflow is build onboarding inside your product set. So you automatically can onboard your either your trial users or freemium users or your existing customers uh, better onto your product. And you're doing that to, of course, uh, convert more customers and also retain them uh, for longer. And the power of using Userflow is that you can build this kind of onboarding without using developers. So you can basically go to user flow and then you can build it all with a with our no-code builder. So if you're a customer success manager or product manager or whatever you are, a non-developer, you can build all the onboarding. So things like tooltips, modals, surveys, mm-hmm. hotspots, mm-hmm. checklists, uh, et cetera. You can build that all without uh, writing any code.
2: And certainly this is not a unique offering in the, in the marketplace. So what do you, how do you differentiate, for lack of a better term, the solution you have from others? And there are lots of others out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have 20 plus competitors or something like that. So it's It's a fun market to be in, uh, but that makes it exciting too. I think a big part of it is our product-led growth mindset. So we have the strongest product in the market, at least that's what I believe and also what I'm hearing from customers. And that's, Mm -hmm. of course, the most important in a product-led growth world is that you have a great product in product-led growth because you have free trial or freemium you cannot fake it till you make it you really yeah. have to have a great product that, that that customers can see is great the second thing we do is then we use uh, user flow on user flow so we use our own onboarding tool to onboard the customers of course right and and by that we are also learning, uh, we're eating our own dog food, right? I, I and, uh, was going to say, that's what I love to hear. You're eating yeah. your own dog food, yes. We're We're learning how we we can improve the tool while we're also getting value from the tool. So that's another big dimension uh, to why we are successful. We are really good at driving users to those kind of aha moments, as you call them, where they get to realize the value of user flow quickly and then they end up buying. So I would say it's, it's this kind of mix between having a fantastic product And also having these product-led processes around it, like great onboarding, great product-led marketing, sales assist and support when you need it. We have great support. So if somebody reach out on our support channel, we are always there to respond. We have a great knowledge base so people can kind of self-help, self-search for information and and many other things. It's really where you you think you should always think like self-service first and then uh, high-touch second. uh, And that we've been very successful with that motion.
1: Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. So
2: here's a question that I kind of zoom out. When you think about PLG, Mm product-led growth, we've gone through kind of an introduction, a set of highly visible examples of companies that have broken through and gone public, converted and monetized it. I'd ask the question of you, where do you think we are in this cycle of using product-led growth to change how we do business? to really change how we do business and, and, and just get your perspective on that.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, the funny thing is it's not really a choice. Uh, you, you, uh, for now you can make it a choice, uh, right? And I think we're still in that kind of mix of generations where you can make it a choice. But when Gen C is going to go to work and, and a lot more, it's going to be even more, right? This is a generational thing. It's people who grew up with computers, they expect self-service. Uh, this kind of um, more old school process with the uh, sales demos and meetings and meetings and meetings. It's not, that that's not part of their generation. So they're not going to like it. So it's really a generational thing. And that's why we're seeing this kind of uh, trend towards uh, end users getting more power uh, because the end users expect self-service. Uh, so right. the companies need to adapt to that basically. Let, let
2: me lean in. And, and pre-announced that it's not just my gray hair that makes me ask this question, but some of the previous generation you're speaking to aren't leaving the workplace as fast as we'd like. No. <laughs> and there are, so I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, Esben, yep. and there are certain types of applications or solutions that lend themselves to this product-led growth orientation and some that don't. Yeah, obvious example or applications like Slack or even some of them that aren't even as cool as Slack, if you still consider Slack cool, um, like QBO, QuickBooks Online lends yep. itself to a bottoms up single user step up to move. Then there are other applications which are much more comprehensive, require a lot more integration, a lot more complexity because they sit in the middle of a stack or they sit between two systems of record that may or may not feed that. What are your thoughts? And I know you may not have the the absolute answer, but just what are your thoughts about how do then companies who are supplying those types of capabilities, how do they then start to bring in some of the benefits of product-led growth?
0: Yeah, I think, so first of all, I was being very kind of binary when I talked about the generational thing. I think it was more to say, I think even in, of course, in my generation, but also older generations than mine, there are people who wanted self-service and wanted great UX always, right? But there's also been a bigger group of people who wanted the high-touch model, and I think that's just going away. And it's you—you you should build your your company for the future, right? And now we're getting AI, which is a whole other level of things uh, going on, right? So, but but having said that, I think. What companies can do right now is to do what many do is a hybrid approach, right? So you have many of the product-led processes, you have a free trial, you have a freemium, you build for sales service, you think product first, but then you always have the other path as well, which is uh, the more traditional sales-led path. So you can always jump in support you can do the meetings if somebody wanna do that so you you basically let your your customers decide right so i think that's a good model to strive for right now it's like that hybrid uh, model but i think we are gonna see more and more companies being highly successful in being pure play product led i think the most well-known example is Atlassian. who that's how they grew jira is purely product-led grown business they didn't have a sales team It was all self-service and they did it more out of necessity because they were based in Australia and they didn't know- Halfway around the world and their marketplace was in North America, right? But they were highly successful. By having that force on them to not build a sales team, they were able to build a fantastic product that grew organically. But but
2: let's be realistic. Today, Atlassian at its current market cap of, I don't know how many billions of dollars, I haven't checked it recently, is a hybrid company, right? Because they're, they they're supplying a broad portfolio of capabilities, some yeah. of which cannot be in, implemented by going pure PLG. So they've, no. they've, they have, to keep the growth going, they have become, as you describe it, a hybrid, a hybrid provider of I technology and platform. Do you think it's easier for an Atlassian to start bottoms up PLG and then go hybrid? Versus someone who is hybrid today trying to step down? What do you yeah, no, what do you see
0: as some of the challenges? I mean, if you're a hybrid, then it's you could step down. The, the biggest challenges are the ones who are sales-led today and want to become product-led. It's, it sounds easy. Let, let's just create a free trial. Let's uh, get going with the product. Well, but it's That's really, what uh, people are doing,
2: they're going to these yeah. seminars and webinars and just turning up free trials all exactly. over the place. Exactly. Right? Uh,
0: but it's really a cultural mindset in the company, right? It's a company where you think product first, you always think, how can we solve this with the product? Can we improve the UX instead of hiring people to solve this problem, right? And that mindset is really hard to get away from. When you're a sales lead, you, you kind of have a tendency to always think people first. Yeah, you always think like, oh, we have this uh, support challenge, we should probably hire two more support people to help with that problem, right? Instead of thinking, ah, we should probably solve it in the product to avoid having that problem altogether, right? I've been in a company that was initially, COBOL was initially product-led, then they moved to sales-led, and then we wanted to move back to product-led. And that was a huge change management exercise that required leadership buy-in, cross-functional kind of change management initiatives and so on. So really, really difficult, but it's something I I think a lot of companies need to to go through to be kind of future-proof. So starting off as a product-led company and then adding sales, I think is definitely a lot easier because then you have the foundation of a great product, you have the foundation of product-led processes, and then sales become this kind of nice add-on that you add on top. It's not something where you have to change your entire mindset. It more becomes the, the kind of cherry on top that you add, right? You hit on
2: some things that I think are really powerful. I want to spend a few minutes just unpacking them. And maybe we should go back and have you put on your Accenture consulting hat, which is all yeah. about problem solving, not not potentially building out solutions. What advice would you give a company? And these are a lot of the clients that I have. They are a traditional legacy company moving into the space. They're trying to shift right, trying to yeah. shift up and to the right. Yeah. More product led, more self-service, removing human interaction where it's appropriate, or where it's just creating friction for users and even friction inside their own organizations. What 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 advice or suggestions can you give people? And yeah. you're sitting in that spot. How, do you, how, do you, how would you approach that?
0: Yeah, no. So we actually went through this with Cobalt. So number one thing is leadership buy-in. You, you need that leadership buy-in. That's essential. If you don't have that, uh, and it, it needs to be from the sales leadership, the customer success leadership, the product leadership, all of them needs to buy into this new future vision that we need to become more product-led. Otherwise, those different departments are going to work against it and not supported, right? Uh, so that's number one, like, the leadership needs to understand why we're doing this. And the reason why you're doing it is, of course, as I said, we're in a new era, uh, the era of end users. So end users are more empowered, they expect to be able to self service. So that's the modern customer. So you need to change your company to, to fit with that. So that's number one, then when you more operationally want to start changing, I think you should create some kind of cross-functional team, right? uh, Which has some kind of coordinating person in between all of them. So you have somebody who drives the initiative. It's the change manager or the change agent. Yeah, whoever you want to appoint, right? Typically it's better if it's somebody who's independent and not devoted to one team or the other. And then you can start doing a number of different things. One, you can start mapping out your existing processes and look at all, like what are all the, people-driven steps we are doing today that potentially could be done by the product, right? And really map out your entire journey, user journey, and see how you could simplify it, cut away steps, but also uh, how you could change steps to be uh, more product-driven. And then you should also, as you do this, you shouldn't overthink everything. So I think it's super important that you don't end up over-analyzing every single decision, but you instead kind of iterate and move forward instead of kind of trying to do the golden solution all at once, right? Because if you try to do that, people are gonna get scared. You're never gonna get anywhere. People are gonna analyze every decision. Don't do that. Make small iterations that kind of takes you to the next step, next step, next step. That's why having that kind of user journey, and these are the things we should probably remove or change is great because then you can take it step-by-step one iteration at a time and kind of uh, do that um, I
2: hear in your in your message, a couple of things that sometimes we have little or no tolerance for one is expect mistakes. Hmm. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna mess up some stuff, right, you're gonna make mistakes. And two is that if you do, it, it's better to fail fast than try and sustain it, make it perfect. That That's yeah. what I'm hearing is, is will a tolerance for mistakes and a tolerance for failure. Yeah. There's a Question, two, actually, two connected questions. About what size was Cobalt when you did this changeover? Just curiosity.
0: And we started when we were around 100 people. So, and so we were very sales-led. Uh, and yeah. then we, we we went on a transition. I wouldn't say Cobalt is, is still, uh, now they're more like a hybrid, right? But also still a large um, So it's still a process going on today. Uh, sure. it, it's, a, it's a big transition. I think another thing we did smartly was reduce the scope. Uh, so we we decided to only focus on the SMBs. Good. You can argue product-led, you should probably implement for all your customers, but should not, again, not scare anybody and yes. make it smaller in scope, do small iterations. We decided to focus on the SMBs that had the simplest use case. They typically only, we cobbled it testing, right? And they typically mm-hmm. only did one test a year. It was typically for a web app. It was super simple, right? Um, So in that way it was easier to build the self-service process for something that's easy clearly it lets you
2: embody the learning i mean so the internal organization can see quick results can see success can see momentum no i think that's very very smart now here's the 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 connected question is planning wise was this considered a one-year project a two-year project i know you said it's still ongoing
0: if you had asked me it was like a six-month project when we started right like uh Let's just do the free trial. Let's get it going. Let's build some stuff. Right. But reality is that it's not right. It's like uh, if you're a very sales led company, it's a longer journey. Uh, it, it can take years uh, to get uh, even. But it, the good thing is that you're doing the transition because you're future proofing your company. And even though it takes a long time, you're taking steps every day towards that transition. Right. And the power of product-led growth is it's only going to make your product better because you become focused around your product. You become focused on the UX, how people try a product, which are really things you should think about even if you're not like a product-led software business, right? You should really, the product should be good. The product should have a great UX. It's all good. Even though it takes years, it's still, um, its still you're, you're going to continuously improve. As you look out, and you've sort of done
2: a future prediction all the way through this, given where you sit. Do we see a place in the future, in your view, where different organizations exist if you're looking at true self-service and true product-led? Or do you still see the same kind of multi-discipline organizations we have today? What's yeah, take no,
0: on? I, I guess that's a trick question. I just did not. Uh, no, it's uh, not intended to uh, be a trick most, question. Uh, really, isn't it's a provocative this, uh... question,
2: Aspen? Because yeah. that's what people are trying to figure out. Where are we yeah, going? no,
0: it's right. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm very. I have very strong opinions about this. I think we will see a new software organization happening, and I think it's going to be a simplified organization or at least a modified organization. Today, you have sales, customer success, marketing, and below those teams, you have multiple different teams. And it's just, in a product-led world, those three teams doesn't necessarily make sense anymore. Uh, Because now the product is front and center. The same reasons why I'm calling myself a growth officer is the same reason why one should consider do we really need three functions to serve our customers if we're product-led, right? So I think we're going to see a merge at least between sales and customer success and potentially uh, marketing is going to change into something a bit different. But yeah, I think we're going to see a merge of some of these functions and especially sales and customer success, which are becoming more and more similar when you move to product-led. So, Espen, if that was a trick question, you tricked up a really good answer.
2: <laughs> Thank yeah. you. No, that that's that's brilliant. I'm curious, when you look around, job-related, professional-related or otherwise, where do you draw inspiration from? What things or what people or what types of things do you do to sort of pump you with the passion that you have for what you do?
0: Yeah, no, so I definitely... Uh, so i look at linkedin of course what what people are posting but i also read a lot of books past entrepreneurs the you know the people who built great stuff so give me a few ones. titles that you that just uh, sort of pop right off the tip. i mean i think i'm a big uh, biography uh, nerd and uh, so i you know of course the steve jobs biography was very inspiring sure. to me but it's also just been like Biographies in magazines. You know, uh, mm-hmm. one of the first biography kind of things I read that really inspired me was the founder of Skype, uh, Janus Friis, who's from Denmark. And I read that when I was like 16, and that actually inspired me a lot to become an entrepreneur. So, so yeah, it's it's those kind of stories that are great. I also the George Lucas biography. You can say he's not an entrepreneur, but he he is right. He's, he is and, yes. He's a movie maker. And reading about how. He creates movies and what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. I mean, those are the kind of things that that inspire me as well to build great stuff. So I think biographies is always great to read. And then I, of course, read a lot of like books about go-to-market models. There's the Product-Led Growth book by Wes Bush, yeah. which I recommend everybody who's interested in Product-Led Growth to read. There's the obviously awesome book, now I can't remember the name of the author, but Is She she writes about positioning, which is super, super important in uh, product-led growth, Uh, even more important than in sales-led, because in sales-led, you will still have a person who can maybe save uh, here and there, but in product-led growth, uh, if everything is self-service, you really need to be really, really strong in your positioning. Uh, For instance, at Userflow, we position ourselves as uh, user onboarding right so everybody who's searching for user onboarding they go and find that we could also position ourselves as surveys but we've decided not to do that even though we have a survey uh, capabilities so, by the
2: way that the author of obviously awesome is april dunfield so yeah. for people who
0: are just going to want to avoid save them uh, some it's time a great
2: book. book i think it is a great book yes
0: a, and and really and and a must read if you want to kind of know how to market your protocol
2: right actually it's april dunford i said dunville
0: yeah.
2: espen this has been great fun i might tap you and have you come back because there's some topics we just brushed over i really would like to maybe dip, dip into a little more with you if you're open to that yeah it would be my pleasure okay espen thank you very much for joining us today appreciate you coming
0: thank you
1: thank you for listening to learn more about egress solutions head on over to www.egresssolutions.net